You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. You are listening to Beyond the SIG, a prescription for transformative pharmacy care. This podcast is developed in collaboration with the University of Pittsburgh School of Pharmacy and their Flip the Pharmacy team and paid for through CDC grant funding provided by the Pennsylvania Department of Health to the Pennsylvania Pharmacists Association, broadcasted exclusively on the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Beyond the SIG, your prescription for transformative community pharmacy care. My name is Brooke Klusich, and I am a third-year student pharmacist at the University of Pittsburgh School of Pharmacy. Today, I am joined by Kevin Day PharmD. He is a 2014 graduate of the University of Toledo College of Pharmacy and Pharmaceutical Sciences. He went on to serve as Associate Director of Strategic Initiatives for the National Community Pharmacists Association in Alexandria, Virginia. He returned to Ohio to practice at Days Miami Heights Pharmacy in Cincinnati, where he is now the president. Kevin also serves as a managing network facilitator for CPESN Ohio, and today he is going to share his insight into the network's efforts to provide enhanced patient care services and the implications of provider status for pharmacists in Ohio. So Kevin, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. All right. So why don't you start off by just telling us a little about your professional background, leading you to your current role and what it's like at your practice site at Days Miami Heights Pharmacy. Sure. So like you mentioned, my brief bio, I went to Toledo and then ended up in DC at NCPA um, as their executive resident and then stayed on there for a few years after in their strategic initiatives department. Um, But before that, I grew up in my dad's pharmacy. So my parents bought the pharmacy that I now own when they were pregnant with me. So when I say I grew up there, I mean that pretty literally. Uh, that was my babysitter for a lot of years. Um, there are pictures of me in the pharmacy as a very small child and, and now as an adult um, owning the store. So I, I grew up in this community pharmacy space. I never necessarily wanted to be a pharmacist, but I always was someone who was watching my dad care for patients and really provide this super high level of relationship-based care and that now I get to provide myself. And I ended up in a chemistry class that I really enjoyed and decided pharmacy maybe was a better fit for me. And like I mentioned, went to Toledo and ended up in DC. Uh, So now back home um, in Cincinnati, I I came home for me home, I guess, uh, in 2018 and and bought the pharmacy from my parents at the beginning of 2020. Uh, Buying a pharmacy right before a global pandemic is a super great way to What's the term? Get your feet wet. Yeah, we'll go with that. Uh, so that was fun. 2020 was a, a fun year, I guess, learning how to be a pharmacist at the same time as making decisions like, hey, should we lock our door for the foreseeable future? And definitely put a lot of pressure on, on some of that. And, and I'm so thrilled to have the experience I had at NCPA and friends and relationships um, from there for mentorship and expertise and people to, to kind of lean on. And um, so our pharmacies in the suburbs of Cincinnati and the I would like to describe it as a typical community-based pharmacy, um, and probably even more specifically as a, as a typical CPSN-type pharmacy. Um, we're really focused on our patients and patient care and patient outcomes. We don't do anything that uh, people might t- describe as 
special per se. And, you know, we're not a compounding pharmacy. We don't take care of long-term care facilities. Um, we are a brick and mortar or what the rest of the world might refer to as a retail pharmacy. Although, you know, I tend to stay away from that term um, because I want to stay focused on patients. So I tell patients regularly, especially those that are new to me, is certainly their relationship with us will be based around the fact that we are dispensing their medicine, but we are in their community taking care of them for a reason um, and we want to be part of their care team um, so we do a lot with adherence and adherence packaging medication synchronization and just efforts kind of centered around helping patients take their medicines and take them appropriately um, we certainly do a, a whole bunch in the vaccine space uh, now with covid vaccines starting uh, to pick up as well but um, you know we gave about 2,500 um, shingles vaccines in 2019, right when I got home, uh, just from word of mouth and, and really pushing through with our relationships with providers and, and to grow kind of that space. But in general, really, I think as we, we're a small community-based pharmacy that is really focused on taking care of our people. Yeah, and, and one other role that you hold is that you currently serve CPES in Ohio as a managing network facilitator. What do you do in this role and how do you support pharmacies in your state? Sure. So since most of your audience, I think, is Pennsylvania-based, um, we'll draw the parallel. So Stephanie McGrath and I hold, quote, the same position um, for our respective networks. Stephanie does it about a billion times better than I do. Uh, and I think that's easy and fair to say. And pharmacies that have experience with both of us probably will agree with that. Um, she'll say something that she has more experience, and that is also true. But uh, Stephanie is incredible at what she does. But my role in, in that same kind of regard is to support the needs of the network on a day in or week in, week out basis. And um, so I help to lead with uh, the rest of my leadership team. There's, there's six of us that are luminaries in Ohio. Um, and we also have a resident um, who's part-time with us. One day a week is assigned to the, um, to the network as well, supported by Ohio Northern University. Um, so really seven individuals total that help run the network day in, day out. Um, so that's both in recruitment and engagement efforts with the pharmacies, um, recruiting and looking for new payer opportunities and managing some of the payer opportunities that we're coming on board with now, um, as well as a lot of the relationships with other entities outside of the pharmacies and payers. So, we broadly talk about those as partners, and that includes the Ohio Pharmacists Association, certainly is an important one, and the colleges of pharmacy and some of the technology vendors and others who are helping us be successful and helping our pharmacies be successful. Well, I'm sure Dr. McGrath would be the first to compliment the Ohio CPESN network on all the progress that you and your team have made. One example of that we've just seen in January 2021 Pharmacists affiliated with the Ohio Medicaid program now have the opportunity to enroll as recognized providers. How is this decision going to expand the services that pharmacists can offer their patients? Yeah, this is exciting, right? This is provider status. And um, Brooke, you're younger than I am, but uh, you know, when I started pharmacy school, one of the very first things that I remember striking me outside of kind of the class and um, workload that was coming in was at being asked to sign a petition about Medicare provider status. And, um, you know, this is probably 2010 kind of timeframe that we have been working and, and even it predates that to these efforts around getting provider status for pharmacists. Um, so we've, by technically speaking, we've accomplished this in Ohio. Um, you know, legally, we have provider status and now 
just recently at the beginning of this year have the ability to enroll with Medicaid as providers, like you mentioned. Um, so the same pathway that a doctor who moves to Ohio and wants to care for Medicaid patients enrolls with with the state Department of Medicaid. Um, you know, there's a pathway, and we both enter our names and our MPI numbers, and then they select physician and we select pharmacist, um, and it's right there in the drop-down menu. That's cool, right? I mean, that, that's like this is something that we've been working towards for a long time, and even the efforts in Ohio. You know, January 2021 feels like this is new and cutting edge, but the legislation that is the backbone of this was signed in January of 2019. Um, so we were two years removed from when the legislative process was done um, for this program and now just getting off the ground um, for providers who are pharmacists and, and providers. That, that term is allowed to get used both ways um, to really enroll with Medicaid. So the decision and, and kind of how it affects what pharmacists can do and, and services they can offer the patients is Exactly the, the argument that pharmacists have been making for a long time is we have training, expertise, um, connection with patients, availability, accessibility, that we could do so many things um, that help patients, right? Whether it's as simple as monitoring blood pressures in really robust ways to A1Cs to working on smoking cessation um, initiatives, all kinds of things, right? You know, <laughs> things that I was trained in it's part of my curriculum 10 years ago. Um, and, you know, I know certainly there are new ones now that are part of the pharmacy school curriculum, but pharmacies can't actually physically opt for them because there isn't a reimbursement method. And if you can't get reimbursed for what you're doing, you can't actually do it. I mean, there's no good way to stay in business. And as an owner now, I can speak to that firsthand. Um, it's really hard to do things that you're just giving away your time for. Um, and certainly there are some of those things that are, uh, you can charge a patient cash for, um, which is great, but that doesn't work for very many patients. And it's really hard to grow a program in that regard in a lot of scenarios. So having Medicaid provider status um, allows pharmacies to expand the services that they offer, um, at least to the Medicaid population that they kind of have the ability to offer and get reimbursed for right now. So, and we're early in this process. I think we'll talk a little bit more about the future later on, but um, I hope to at least we, we have a long way to go as far as really how this does expand services, pharmacy to pharmacy. Um, but in the short run is it just starts to really crack this door open of you can have an idea of something that your patients would benefit from. And previously, you'd either have to work it into your existing revenue cycles um, or you have to charge the patient for it. And now at least there's the potential that you can bill the state for that service um, and be able to get reimbursed for it. It's a huge deal, right? and um, I, I think there are probably pharmacists on, on this side of the border who wish that some of the things that we didn't get yet in the program were gotten, um, and I, I'm afraid that we might miss what the opportunity really is and how big of a deal this is uh, for pharmacists to just have this opportunity to enroll with Medicaid and be able to bill directly for services that we provide. Full stop. That's absolutely transformative. For the first time, pharmacists can make money without selling something, right? And we can get away from this term of retail pharmacy. Um, you know, that's an appropriate description of most pharmacies across the country. They sell product, they sell products and make money. Therefore, they're a retailer, and the product that they happen to sell is medicine. Therefore, they're a pharmacy. You put those two together, that's what you get. But if you're able to make revenue for the store, for the pharmacy, for the provider group, wherever it might be, as a pharmacist and using your cognitive services, that's a whole new playing field and allows us to, to branch into so many new areas and that we know and we've proven 
over and over and over again um, that pharmacists can impact patient care. Um, we, we know that to be the case. We don't have to prove that anymore, hopefully. Um, yeah, that that dates back to the actual project, right, of what pharmacists can do. And now we just have the opportunity to actually do it. It's a huge win for pharmacists in Ohio and is definitely going to change the course for what we know as retail pharmacy, like you said. But I would be remiss not to mention how COVID-19 has impacted the recent progress your state has made in these efforts. It's almost added this extra layer of urgency to expand patient access to pharmacist-provided care. So, so what is your take on this? Yeah, absolutely agree. And, um, you know, again, I think it's important to recognize that our provider status pathway has been moving way longer than, than um, COVID-19 has existed, um, which is, is a statement more than anything else, right? No judgment or anything there. Um, but certainly when uh, the, the COVID and pandemic was ramping up um, and access to care was being limited more and more as physicians' offices um, stayed shuttered to try to force telemedicine and different things, is there were a lot of services that weren't being provided anywhere. Um, and pharmacies were open, right? I mean, some pharmacies, mine, you know, we, we closed our front door, but we were still seeing patients in our parking lot with our community health workers in the house um, via delivery. Like we were regularly interacting with patients just as much, if not more than we were um, prior to the pandemic. But a physician may have, you know, canceled appointments because they couldn't do as many telehealth appointments as they were in person, or they didn't have telehealth set up yet, but they couldn't let the people, the patients into their office right away. So we know people were falling through the cracks and we were getting asked questions repeatedly. Um, you know, I don't know, I haven't had my blood pressure checked in weeks. <laughs> you know, I was supposed to be going back to the doctor and they canceled the appointment. What do I do? And we were able, you know, I walked outside with blood pressure cuffs regularly to help patients take their blood pressure in their car. Um, you know, just to get baseline information or updated information based on a dose exchange, that type of work. So I do think, you know, that kind of layered in. And then two is all the COVID specific um, things that were happening um, with testing and now with vaccines, some of the follow-up care around COVID um, for the care for the patients that provider status opened some doors or at least was, you know, a, a a parallel path to opening doors um, for some of those initiatives. So testing is probably the best example. You know, Ohio moved pretty quickly at the state board of pharmacy level to allow pharmacists and pharmacy technicians and pharmacy students um, to be involved in the testing process and ordering tests and, and working in that regard. But we didn't have the ability to bill for them, right? And that became kind of a sticking point, um, something that we tied in. Well, I shouldn't say we there. That was really a uh, pharmacist association did a great job tying together with the provider status story of you have this legion of pharmacists that are ready to help with, with testing and care for these patients, but because they can't get paid for it um, and they can't order them technically because they aren't technically providers yet at that point, um, you know, we had a hard time and we had to kind of write into gray areas of, of the law um, until that got rectified by the state board. So we tied these kind of conversations together because like what you mentioned, the urgency of that COVID-19 brought for the need for patients. So not only have you been working on the front lines throughout the pandemic at, at Days Pharmacy, but you've also been leading other independents through your position with CPESN Ohio. What role has your network played in helping Ohio pharmacists obtain provider status? Yeah, that's an interesting one. And um, it, it's interesting because the movement on provider status predates the network, right? The bill that became the law for provider status was introduced 
earlier than CPSN Ohio existed as an entity. Um, it, and it's an interesting reflection to kind of think back on that time, because certainly the two things were moving in parallel. You know, we were growing the network, working closely with OPA, Ohio Pharmacists Association, um, as a partner in the early days. You know, we officially launched at the OPA annual meeting and, and all of that work. And at the same time, OPA was working, you know, incredibly hard and obviously successfully on the provider status initiatives. So there is absolutely overlap, um, but there's a fair amount that is different, right? And, and we, as a network per se, you know, are not a lobbying organization, and this was a straight advocacy effort. So in the ways that we could encourage pharmacists who are part of the network to participate with OPA um, and in that effort and testify if they were called upon and be members and support the organization um, was all impactful, we, we think and hope, but the network itself didn't have a role in that regard. Now that we're on this side and provider status is passed, um, and you know we have now have the ability to um, have pharmacists join as providers into the network, we're playing the role that uh, we love to play as, as CPS10 as a network is as a best practices sharing organization and, and encouraging our participating pharmacists to sign up, right? And to go through this process and helping answer questions and point to resources Again, the resources are, are the associations. OPA has done a phenomenal job with this, and I can't speak highly enough about them and the work that they've done here um, and are still doing, right? This not past tense. It's very active. Um, but we're able to help disperse those and uh, you know, have a really close relationship with our participating pharmacies. So we think we're, um, we're really just helping to, to maximize that message. We do in a related, but um, not necessarily in a how do we help pharmacists obtain provider status. Um, but we hope that we're going to be helpful in expanding how provider status can roll out. So we didn't talk very much about the details here, and I'm not sure how pertinent they are since most of the audience is Pennsylvania. But um, the rules for Ohio provider status, which were finished uh, just recently in January, are a little bit limited. So pharmacists have the ability to enroll as providers, um, and they can bill Medicaid directly for fee-for-service patients. Um, so the state of Ohio has a managed Medicaid program. About 90% of Medicaid lives are in the managed care organizations, um, organizations, I guess, who manage that care. Um, the remaining 10% is direct with Medicaid and fee-for-service. So that's all that Medicaid could um, do. So that's what they have allowed us to do. There are additional um, requirements. It has to be part of a collaborative practice agreement scenario. So the pharmacist, the prescriber, and the patient um, have to have collaborative practice agreement capabilities for the pharmacist to be able to bill for that service. But it, again, it's still this, this opening um, that has never been there before. We're really excited about it. Sort of in parallel is some of managed care organizations are running provider status programs that, again, run in, in parallel with what's happening um, via the Department of Medicaid, but don't have quite the same requirements. Um, so one of those programs we are involved in as a network, um, actually just launching now, uh, essentially been um, kind of in the, the long process of, of legal work and things for a network and an MCO to work together. I know you guys know about too in Pennsylvania. Um, so we're really excited about this because it's the first time that pharmacists are joined into a payer program in the network environment. So rather than with direct contracts between the pharmacist and the payer, is we as a network get to play this, this collaborative um, and collective role. So we signed up pharmacists as a group into that payer program. And that's a provider status pilot program. So we're really excited where that's going to go. Um, and we think it might be able to scale a little more quickly than some of the MCO programs uh, that are direct uh, contracts with the individual pharmacies. 
because we can streamline some of the contracting work and some of the education and training um, and onboarding all of those kinds of pieces once we get through it kind of its first time through. So in obtaining provider status, you know, really it kind of has to go to OPA, um, but hopefully from here and kind of growing provider status is uh, we can contribute, you know, they're certainly leading the charge on this and doing incredible work. Um, but hopefully some of the efforts that we have from the network as a, as a network entity and not just pharmacists who make it up, um, but as a network entities, we'll get to play a role with the relationships that we have with managed care organizations. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, it's clear Ohio has made a ton of progress in this area in the last year with the help of OPA and the efforts of CPES and Ohio, like you said. But as we all well know, not all states' Medicaid programs recognize pharmacists as providers. So what can other states like Pennsylvania learn from Ohio? What were some successful strategies that worked in Ohio that other states might benefit from learning? Uh, I really, again, I think I, I should defer a fair amount of that question to OPA, but um, I'll take a stab from a member's or perspective and um, some of what I, I do know and have seen um, happen from that conversations or from those conversations. So, really, again, is recognize up front this is a long process. Uh, legislative processes almost always a long processes. Um, this one's just no different. There's a reason for that. That right? is, you're asking a state to pay for something. Um, and we, I think, as, as a network in CPS and across the country, uh, but really pharmacists in academia and all sorts of settings have, like I mentioned, proven and indicated that they are worth paying, right? That it's a good return on investment. Um, but whenever you're going to a state entity and asking to get paid, there's going to be pushback. I mean, there's no, no way around that necessarily. So I think, you know, the reason why we were able to get this through the legislative process in late 2018 is, is we had incredible champions in the state house um, in Columbus. So um, that's the first piece, right? If it's going to be a legislative process um, to change some aspect of a law that currently does not include pharmacists, but we want to get changed to include pharmacists, to add them to that list of providers, um, you have to have champions on board. And we only get pharmacy champions from pharmacists having relationships with legislators or pharmacists becoming legislators, right? Those are kind of the only two choices. So either decide that you want to run for office if you're listening to this and want this to be reality in Pennsylvania um, or some other state, or at least, you know, reach out and start to build those connections with your local legislators at the state level. Certainly our relationships with our, our congressmen and, and our U.S. senators are important and probably incredibly important, but this is a great example of politics is local. Um, and, you know, that relationship at a state level is really what allowed us to get this going, right? Is we had these champions and Matt Dolan specifically um, was the state representative that, that led this charge, maybe state center at the time, um, that really led this charge for providing status in Ohio. But again, that is advocacy at a grassroots level, right? So it's a pharmacist knowing their legislator to put it on their radar, to push, to continue to ask, to um, insist on that individual understanding why it's important, not for the pharmacies per se, but for the patients, or in this case for Medicaid, right? Like we very much believe that we can save the Department of Medicaid money I know we're asking for them to pay us, but the return on investment is very, very, very likely to follow. It follows every time we do the research, right? And pharmacists get involved, good things happen. Um, so, you know, we're just, we have to keep pushing for that kind of regard and that kind of service. With all the progress you've made in terms of provider status in Ohio, 
I'm curious to know, in your opinion, what does the future of pharmacy look like in your state? I mean, this has been a long time coming. So what is going to be the new focus for advancing pharmacy practice? Yeah, we still have a lot of work to do here, right? This isn't necessarily a switch that went from we passed it and we're done, um, or even of we have the rules written and we're done. Um, you know, so there's still a lot of a, a whole lot of effort um, at the association, at the state, at the network, and certainly at the pharmacy or pharmacist level um, to make this a reality. And again, it's something that we as a state and, and the association, the network are super focused on. We've seen other states pass provider status legislation that you know might technically add pharmacists to a list of providers in the state and nothing else happened, or at least nothing happened for a long time. Um, you know, we have moved that forward now where pharmacists have the ability to bill Medicaid. We need to get pharmacists billing Medicaid, right? And there's still a lot of steps that have to happen between now and then. Um, they need collaborative practice agreements. They need billing mechanisms. They need patients. Um, they need confidence that they know how to document and how to bill. Um, they might need services around, um, you know, some of like the claims reconciliation and did they actually get paid? And there's just a, a kind of a whole new infrastructure that's going to have to get built around this. And at the same time, is like I mentioned, this is specific right now for um, pharmacists that are in the, or patients who are in the fee-for-service program for Medicaid, which is really a pretty small sliver of Medicaid and certainly a very small sliver of all Ohio lives. And so I think we, you know, we are going to keep our foot on the pedal, on the gas pedal for this particular program for a long time um, on expanding that across the rest of the Medicaid lives. We're already having good relationships with managed care organizations. There are programs launched um, with all four of the managed care organizations now in the state, four of the five, I guess. Um, we have five total managed care organizations. The fifth is a small one. So um, four of the five MCOs have launched provider status programs, and I'll say they're the four that affect the most pharmacies, um, which is incredible. We're currently in a bid cycle, actually announcing new um, managed care organizations for Ohio Medicaid very soon. <laughs> you know, this is early March that we're recording this. I, I expect to know that answer of who is going to be the new MCOs in the state really, really quickly, right? So those become really important relationships and next steps and, and really kind of the future is how do we work with those organizations um, to combine what legislatively and now regulatory um, via ODM, we have the ability to do uh, to be able to build them and build that into productive programs. And then immediately kind of with that, and it probably happens in parallel, um, is working on value-based type entity um, work, value-based type payment models. Uh, you know, we've been shifting steadily, not, I'll say slowly, but steadily since the late 2000, you know, prior to 2010, probably right in that kind of time frame um, as a country from a, a fee-for-service-based healthcare system to a value-based healthcare system. And so pharmacists now in Ohio are, have you know this little bit of leeway and, and, and a really exciting leeway to enter into that fee-for-service model and be able to bill for what they do. But at the same time, the rest of healthcare is moving to the value-based world, um, and we're going to have to move with them. Right? We can't ignore uh, that perspective. And you're in Pittsburgh, so we'll use the hockey quote from Gretzky, right? Of you got to skate where the puck's going. Um, so if the puck, in this case, of healthcare is going uh, towards value-based care, like let's move that direction as well. And that's where, you know, we're really excited from the network perspective because we think the um, 
the collaborative work and, and the aggregate value of the network is that we can do those value-based measures a little bit better than individual pharmacies could, um, just because we can collect enough data to prove that. And it's really excited kind of marrying those things together. The last kind of future looking thought that, that I would have and some maybe a little bit more personal opinion than um, the CPSN had or any of the roles of, of OPA and things that I, that I also hold um, is I think we're really excited and, and going to be looking at as provider status and other mechanisms continue to grow where pharmacists are able to get paid for services is the immediate parallel is expanding the services um, that are able to be offered. Um, so, you know, there are bills right now in the Ohio House and in Senate for things like dispensing of smoking cessation products without a prescription and really being able to be the prescriber in that regard. If you can marry that with a provider status program that pays for smoking cessation services, then all of a sudden a pharmacist or a and whether it's a freelance pharmacist, you know, not tied to a specific location or a community pharmacy owner or a pharmacist, you know, in a chain pharmacy, anybody would have the ability to really run a smoking cessation clinic by themselves and have a model. Um, of, they can build a business model around that. Um, and that's that would be new. Right? That would be a first time that, that that whole package could be done soon ago. And I always look to other states at some of the things that are happening in our most progressive state friends as far as pharmacy goes um, that what pharmacists are allowed to do, right? So to me, Washington State is the poster child of that these days. Um, so pharmacists in Washington State, for those of you who might not know, um, can prescribe for uh, I think it's maybe 20 common ailments, um, things like you know, ear infections and um, recurrent UTIs for patients who have had one previously and um, minor scrapes and bruises that, you know, somebody might need a, like a higher potency steroid than the 1% hydrocortisone, you know, just a, a, it's not a huge list, but it's a fair number of things that patients walk into pharmacies for anyway, and they ask us the question, and we know the answer, but we're not allowed to pull the trigger on it. And those are the type of scope of practice things that I hope are part of the future of pharmacy um, across every state. I, mean, I don't know if that gets done federally at some point or is a state-by-state -state case, uh, but those are the kind of things that I'm really excited for um, and really kind of thinking what happens in my next 30, 40 years you know, of, of owning my pharmacy, hopefully for that period of time and certainly being a pharmacist uh, for that period of time. Is Those are the kind of things that get me excited um, of adding new services that we currently aren't allowed to do, um, but for the most part, either already trained to do or could be trained easily, uh, and adding that in to what we're able to offer to patients. It is a very exciting time for Ohio, and I think other states will look to Ohio as an example going forward. So, Kevin, it has been so great to have you on the show today. I think other networks can learn a thing or two from the recent progress in Ohio, and I know our listeners are really going to enjoy hearing your perspective. So thank you for joining me. Yeah, thanks, Brooke. And again, it's been super fun and uh, glad to be asked. Absolutely. And to our listeners, thank you for listening to another episode of Beyond the SIG. Keep tuning in to learn more about the impactful stories shaping community pharmacy practice transformation. Thanks for listening to Beyond the SIG, a prescription for transformative pharmacy care. Be sure to check back with the Pharmacy Podcast Network soon for the next episode. To learn more about transforming the role of the pharmacist, visit PAPharmacists.com forward slash podcast. That's PAPharmacists.com forward slash podcast.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.